You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to focus on Louisville quarterback Lamar Jackson with Mark Ennis from 93.9 FM in Louisville and talk bills with Jay Skursky of the Buffalo News. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Andrew Mason from DenverBroncos.com. Andrew, we're looking for a general sense of how you're interpreting what Vance Joseph and John Elway have had to say about the quarterback position this week in Indy. Do you think they are at least open to using that number five overall pick to trying to find a franchise quarterback in the draft? I think they're definitely open to it, but at the same time, it looks clear that they're going to examine free agency first, and they want to see how that plays out. So certainly that means Kirk Cousins, really seeing where that goes, seeing if they can get him, and then Beyond that, if they don't get Kirk Cousins, the other options you're talking about, basically Case Keenum, A.J. McCarron, I think if you get either of them, you are probably talking about being in the mix for one of those top quarterbacks potentially, maybe with the number five pick or the the possibility of maybe trading down and then getting another quarterback, not one of those top four guys, but another quarterback later on. But I think if you get Kirk Cousins, you're not talking about a quarterback for the Broncos early in this year's draft. But if they end up settling or going with another quarterback, then, yeah, I think you'll see the Broncos get a QB pretty early, and it could be one of those top four guys. When you think about how this team has tried to spend money, uh, particularly at the quarterback position, um, do you think this team is ready and prepared to maybe give something like close to a 60 to $65 million, maybe 70-plus million bucks to someone like a Kirk Cousins, which we know long-term it may end up handicapping uh, the salary cap? And John doesn't seem like he's a guy that would really want to spend that much money because he feels like the defense is good enough. They just need somebody that can actually control the game on offense, not turn it over, but at least keep the chains moving and give us a chance to score. Well, it's funny because like, I don't think that would have been something they wanted to do a couple of years ago, but I think after what they've gone through the last two years with uh, below-average quarterback play and way too many turnovers, especially last year, I think they're in a spot where they're willing to spend the money if needed to try and get it right. I think that you know they were hoping, obviously, that Paxton Lynch would have stepped forward and seized the job and shown some progress uh, by this point, but that hasn't happened. And then they were also, you know, another possibility was hoping that Trevor Simeon would have uh, uh, done more with the opportunity than he was able to do. I think they may feel a little bit burned, quite frankly, by how uh, uh, the young quarterbacks have done and how they've struggled and uh, maybe let down the team as a whole. You heard, you know, John Elway yesterday when he was talking with local Denver media, he kept coming back to turnovers, particularly from the quarterback position and how everything kind of unraveled from there. I mean, he said, yeah, I I wish the defense had responded better uh, when forced back on the field by turnovers, but then in the same breath that they were put on the field an awful lot because of those turnovers. And I think they just want to find, they just want to get it right. And I think that's maybe uh, leading to them to, go in a direction that they may not have foreseen themselves going in, say, a year or two ago. 
Chatting with Andrew Mason from DenverBroncos.com. Andrew, what do you make of the ongoing Akib Talib trade conversation? As you know, Akib has been sharing his thoughts on Twitter recently. Yeah, and uh, look, I mean, it's, I think part of it with Akib Talib is, you know, he's going into year 11, and uh, it's sort of a little bit of that uh, uh, Belichickian philosophy that uh, maybe you, you want to move on from a guy one year too soon rather than one year too late and uh, uh, with a keep sleep at this point he it's a contract and a situation where you can get something back for him in a trade you don't necessarily have to simply let him go and get nothing in return if there are multiple suitors and that contract being relatively reasonable for the level at which he's still playing they probably feel like they can still get something plus they, they're very high on Bradley Roby. Roby, of course, was their first-round pick in 2014, and he's been their number three cornerback for the last four seasons. I'm sure they figured that he would have uh, perhaps been in a more prominent role by this point, but Aqib Tlaib kept playing so well. And, and the thing with Tlaib's contract, it was a six-year deal, but in effect really based on the guaranteed money it was kind of a three-year deal and then kind of going year to year after that so last year was kind of the first of that year-to-year situation so they're ready to have Bradley Roby go into a more prominent role they're giving him the fifth-year option and they want to see what he does there and I think they'd like to give Bradley Roby a long-term contract beyond that I think so that's part of what's uh, what's what's dictating this is uh, they want to get Bradley Roby out there more they feel like it's his time when being a quarterback in the game we know for sure they need some wideouts Emmanuel Sanders and also Demarius Thomas there's been talk about maybe one of one or maybe both may not be there uh, next season but it sounds like with the talks out in combine that uh, they may be trying to bring both those guys back yeah, it was interesting. Elway kind of definitively shot that down, that the notion of them leaving, so that they would both be coming back. He, and he had the opportunity to, to say that Aqib Tlaib was definitively coming back, and he didn't do that. But, yeah, said that Thomas and Sanders would both be returning. And I think whether you're talking about a veteran quarterback or you're talking about going in the direction of a young guy, those two receivers could be that quarterback's best friend, collective best friend in terms of if it's a veteran quarterback, you know, those two guys will help him get up to speed. And if it's a young quarterback, certainly they can be a security blank. I think also the other thing is when you're looking at what went wrong for the Broncos last year, I think that's where it also comes down to they put more of the blame at the feet of the quarterback position rather than anything going wrong at wide receiver, you know, that both Vance Joseph and John Elway pointed to Demarius Thomas and said, well, you know, he still had a good season. He came close to 1,000 yards despite uh, the issues at the quarterback position. Now, with Demarius Thomas, of course, you know, he's you know, taken quite a few hits over the years because he's such a big, big receiver. It take, usually takes two guys to bring him down, not just one. Those accumulated hits have an effect, but uh, at the, still – he can certainly make that transition to being a good possession receiver in his 30s. So I think he still has value uh, going forward. Emmanuel Sanders, it was just a frustrating injury plague season for him. If he's healthy, I think he can bounce back. Andrew Mason, DenverBroncos.com is our guest on the NFL on tune. And Andrew, last one for me. I'm sure you're aware of the reports the Broncos could be looking to shop Trevor Simeon. Do you think there is a real trade market out there for a former seventh-round pick? 
I think there's a, a decent trade market there, but obviously it would be just looking at him as a backup, and you're probably realistically talking about a day three pick for Trevor Simeon, just given that, A, he's a backup, B, he's going into the last year of his rookie deal. You probably couldn't expect anything more than that. Probably some, probably a, a, something that could involve either a conditional pick or maybe it's a conditional pick that could kind of move up and down, up or down, around or two, depending on uh, how many starts he would get if he got forced into action if the starter got hurt. Andrew, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. No problem, gentlemen. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. TuneIn has what you need and when you want it when on the run and on the go. Covering all musical needs. Today's hits. Latin hits. Country roads. Hip-hop beats. Sit down. Supporting artists and the music they make exclusively on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we welcome in Mark Ennis from 93.9 FM in Louisville. Mark, thanks for taking the time. How are folks in your town and the callers to your show reacting to some analysts like Bill Polian suggesting Lamar should move to wide receiver? Uh, there's been a general outrage uh, here, uh, mainly because uh, we saw Lamar, and I don't think he can catch. Uh, I'm kidding, but uh, I mean, we watched Lamar Jackson here for the better part of three seasons, and uh, more than anything else, the improvement uh, from him. He was just a, an incredibly raw guy as a freshman and really got thrown into action. And By the time he was finished here in three seasons, uh, his improvement as a passer uh, was unbelievable, and really, the, the, I think the crazy thing about Lamar is like he's just figuring it out, uh, and he was as good as he was by the time he left. So, pretty uh, annoying for folks around here to hear that sort of thing about Lamar. Well, I think you, you know that's two ways you can look at it. As frustrating as it may be, because it sounds like you're they're, they're questioning his skill set at the quarterback position, and you think of his talent and the other guys that are out there. Uh, you can just say, you know what, it's unfortunate for the for most of them that they can't recognize real talent when it comes to that position, it's not just a traditional way of looking at it, but he brings something to the table that none of them have. Uh, I think he has a good, I think he has a very good arm. He just needs to work on a lot of things like many other quarterbacks, even myself had to do when going in the game. But where do you see him going, Mark, when you think of the quarterbacks that they have, they're saying that they should go in the top five to maybe 10 uh, spots. You see him in the first round in the early part of it. I don't think he'll go like top 10. You know, I think he'll probably experience something sort of like Deshaun Watson did, you know, where there were a lot of the same questions about him. Uh, But I think that what's going to happen is through individual workouts and his pro day, somebody's going to fall in love with him. Maybe even last year, like the Chiefs did with Pat Mahomes, where once they get after 10 or so, teams, uh, one or two of them are going to maneuver. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him anywhere from the middle of the first round on. I don't think anybody way up at the top is going to spend a pick on him because I think he's going to take some time. But I think somebody who thinks that they've got time and luxury to bring him along uh, but thinks that they know that they can use him and sort of be creative with him uh, will jump back up or move up in that first round. Uh, So I think anywhere from the middle on, I wouldn't be surprised to see a number of teams either uh, that want to try to be creative with him or that are – 
has quarterbacks kind of at the end of their careers, Pittsburgh or New Orleans or something like that, uh, to bring him in and Aaron Rodgers him a little bit and bring him along slowly because I think that really would be good for him and them. Chatting with Mark Ennis from 93.9 FM in Louisville. Mark, you know it's the silly season. Rumor, innuendo, gossip, trying to come up with comps for these players and try to ascertain where they're going to land. Is it fair to point out that Bobby Petrino has not produced many quarterbacks who emerged as marquee players in the NFL in the analysis of Lamar? Because we're hearing that chatter as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it is kind of the silly season. You know, I think it's worth bringing up, but I think you kind of got to look at the kids themselves. Uh, and then really, if you look at the guys that, that Bobby's coached over the years, you know, Bobby's a college coach, coaches college kids, and his job is to win college games. And you know, maybe those guys haven't really projected particularly well to the NFL, but uh, Lamar's really not like any of those guys. So I really wouldn't hold, you know, uh, Ryan Mallett or some of the other guys, even Brian Brom uh, or Stephon LaForge or Chris Redmond or people like that. I just wouldn't hold that against Lamar because he himself is so different. Uh, but I think, you know, when people are breaking Lamar's film down, I don't think you can watch him play uh, and say this is a guy that hasn't been well coached. He's just he's very different. Uh, and I think that he just has had so much to learn uh, about the quarterback spot and learned as much as he did in three years. But I wouldn't hold Bobby Petrino's previous quarterbacks against him. He's just really not anything like any of those guys. If there's a quarterback in the draft – um, or even that's in the National Football League that I can look, compare Lamar Jackson to in a sense of, as you mentioned, Bobby Petrino and in a sense of what he does offensively. It's going with Chip Kelly's quarterback and Marcus Mariota. I mean, and I say that in this sense, is these guys were, were really, really good college quarterbacks with having an opportunity to develop, running the, the, the RPO systems with Marcus Mariota. He gets in the National Football League. He looked like he struggles at time with throwing the football, but they took a chance on him, and he's evolving over time. A Lamar Miller's talent, to me, is at least two times better than a Marcus Mariota. He should be given the opportunity, in my opinion, to be taken in the top 10, maybe even the top 15, to where once he gets in the National Football League with the right coach, he could be pretty darn good. Yeah, I think that so much about uh, Lamar, uh, you, you just get mesmerized by him running, and he really is just an amazing runner. But I think he, it tends to overshadow. Like he just, he really can, can throw the ball. I mean, he has an, a very quick release and a really strong arm. His problems are really mechanical and consistency. But that's the sort of thing, like you're saying, you get in the league, man, and that's all you do. Like you can really improve on that sort of thing. Uh, and I think that he will – really pay off for somebody provided that it's not a, uh, a Tim couch Browns situation where you just get thrown in and get killed. Uh, you know, I, I think in some ways he would benefit from sliding down a little bit from somebody who doesn't have to just press him into duty uh, and let him sort of get his feet under him. Maybe like Mahomes did this year in Kansas city uh, or something like that. I think any of those would be great for him, uh, but he really has uh, an NFL arm I think a lot of times folks just didn't watch Louisville. They were outside the top 25. And if you saw him on SportsCenter, you just saw him running because the plays they, where he ran were impressive. But the guy really has a big live arm. Uh, he just has to sort of get consistent in how he uses it. Focusing on Lamar Jackson with Mark Ennis from 93.9 FM in Louisville. Mark, how much could Jackson be potentially hurting himself by not having an agent at this stage of the process? It feels like a high-profile agent could be helpful, at least from the media perspective, of changing the narrative about Lamar having to shift to receiver. 
Oh, I, listen, I, this is the one place where I think even locally we've sort of scratched our heads uh, and really been even almost critical of Lamar. I think it's a strategic mistake on his part. You know, my co-host uh, is Luke Hancock here in town, and you know he didn't even get drafted in the NBA, but he said, I had an agent, and that guy kept me busy every single day between the end of school and the draft, and I didn't even get drafted. Uh, but he said, you know, I needed that. I needed exposure. I needed you know preparation for team interviews and my pro day uh, and marketing opportunities and getting me prepped for uh, interviews and the wonderlick and all these things that you know Lamar's mom is a feisty, strong, smart lady, but she's not an agent and she's not an NFL agent. And, and I think he would benefit from having somebody to be his advocate outwardly uh, and, and helping him sort of go through the preparation process and maximize it because I think unlike some of uh, either uh, Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold, like Lamar needs an advocate. Those guys are, they look like quarterbacks and people love them. They're big and strong and all that sort of thing. You know, Lamar needs a, a salesman on his behalf. Uh, and I do think he is making a mistake by, by not going with one. I think I understand why he's doing it, uh, but I, I, I wish he would have done something else. Yeah, I mean, I, I was in the same position uh, as Lamar Jackson back in 95, and I ended up having a chance to grab Lee Steinberg, which was phenomenal. He had Warren Moon, Troy Aikman, Drew Bledsoe, Mark Brunel. I mean, he had a list of guys to where when it came down to my representation in those meeting rooms, it really made the difference. How much you think having his mom as his representation uh, going to hurt him because she's not capable, uh, I'm assuming, to get any of the information or data uh, from the NFL uh, or any one of the scouts or even teams, for that matter, to determine how he needs to address everything as he moves forward. Yeah, I, I think it is going to hurt him, and I think it's not so much because of uh, you know the contract, because now with the CBA, you know those, those things are slotted, and there's really not a lot of maneuvering. Uh, but I think it's all the stuff that an experienced agent would just be ready to prep you with going into a team workout. Uh, or ready to prep you with, you know, ahead of the drafts or team interviews or any of that stuff. All of this just mechanical stuff. Uh, the best way uh, one of our other uh, hosts here at the station has said it is, you know, Lamar's mom doesn't know what she doesn't know. And, and that's the sort of thing that a Lee Steinberg or a experienced agent would be able to handle for Lamar, keep off his plate, let him work on what he should work on. And also agents front you for you know, high-tech workouts and getting your body physically ready for individual workouts and the drafts and all that sort of thing. He's really missing out on all of that, uh, and I think it's unfortunate, and I, it might cost him some money in the, in, the, in the near term. Mark, last one from me. If we're thinking about area of improvement for all these quarterbacks, they're all flawed in different ways this year and every year for that matter. What component of Jackson's game does he need to improve upon the most? I don't care much about stats, but even I realize he did not have a glittering completion percentage playing for the Cardinals. Yeah, I think he's got to, to throw the ball. And I think, Cordell, you know what I mean when I say this. Like He has to throw the ball the same way every time. I think Lamar has the tendency uh, to let his mechanics go either if the team is behind uh, or, or so the play is kind of frantic. And I'm not talking about like instincts and running, but like he will, he doesn't throw, he throws the ball 10 different ways. Uh, and he needs to be consistent in the way he throws it. Because like I said, he's got a big arm uh, and he makes good decisions, but his mechanics throws will sail on him. Deep stuff outside the numbers will sail on him because he doesn't get his feet set uh, or step the way he ought to. And that sort of thing, at least not consistently. Uh, and so on the one hand, that could be a problem for him in the NFL. On the other hand, you look at his production, you're like, geez, he still put up these crazy numbers with something so basic 
still really being kind of an issue. But for me, it's him throwing the ball the same way every time because that's how you win in the NFL, and he really has a ways to go there. And we have a ways to go on this program. Mark, thanks so much for the information. We appreciate you joining us on the NFL on TuneIn. Anytime, guys. Thanks. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. The boys of summer are back. And a fly ball well hit. Back to the wall. He leaps. Can't get it. It's a home run. MLB spring training is here, and you can catch every game from Florida and Arizona live with your subscription to TuneIn Premium. Rivalry games, split squad games, TuneIn has it all. When the pitch count begins for real, catch every game of the 2018 MLB season from opening day to the MLB World Series live on TuneIn. It's gone. It's a home run. Major League Baseball is on TuneIn Premium. Listen all season long. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's spotlight the Bills with Jay Skursky of the Buffalo News. Jay, thanks for taking the time. From a distance, it seems pretty clear that the Bills would like to move on from Tyrod Taylor, but given all their uncertainty under center, do you think there's a likely scenario in which Taylor stays with the team? I mean, I do think that there's a possibility of that, but I think if uh, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott uh, you know, are able to execute what they want to have happen, that they would ideally trade him. I think a lot of what we're hearing about Tyrod Taylor right now is the team trying to position themselves to drum up some sort of interest in the trade market. Uh, I, I still don't think that Tyrod Taylor will be back as the team starter in 2018. Uh, despite you know what you're hearing right now uh, coming out of the combine, and that's Sean McDermott saying that he's not, it's not in our plans to cut him right now. But if you listen closely to all of those answers about Tyrod Taylor, there are a lot of qualifiers in terms of words like right now and at this time and uh, at the moment he's on our roster. So I still, I still do believe that eventually um, before 2018 that this team will move on from Tyrod Taylor. Jay, do you see the team going out to grab a quarterback in free agency or even in the draft? I know that's, what, the 21st and 26th pick. Or do they stick with Nathan Peterman to see if they can give him an opportunity to compete for the job? Yeah, well, yeah, Nathan Peterman is, you know, is obviously under contract, and, and everyone uh, you know, kind of remembers that disastrous first start that he had last year. But he is still very much a mix, you know, a part of the mix here at quarterback uh, in Buffalo. And, and I'm not saying that he's definitely going to start next year, but I think he is uh, going to be given a fair opportunity to win that job. And to answer the first part of the question, I think it's going to be a combination of both. I, I do expect uh, that this team uh, is going to try uh, to do everything in their power to, to draft a quarterback in the first round if they can identify uh, one that they believe you know can be the future of the franchise. Uh, and I would also expect if they do move on from Tyrod Taylor that there would be uh, an interest in the free agent market. I don't think that that would... Uh, include players like Kirk Cousins, uh, you know, just because of the money that he's going to command. But but I do think you'd want a veteran presence of some sort in here uh, to compete with Peterman and, and maybe to lead that rookie uh, if they are able to draft somebody in the first round. Talking Bills with Jay Skursky from the Buffalo News. Jay, how would you sum up year one on the sideline for Sean McDermott? The headline is the Bills, of course, going to the playoffs for the first time since 1999. But that Nathan Peterman debacle in L.A., Certainly a major negative, almost cost the Bills a trip to the postseason. It did, and, and you, you know you certainly can look at that as being maybe the biggest misstep or, or mistake of Sean McDermott's first season, and, and I don't think you'd get a big argument from really anyone. Uh, but I will say that I thought that the way that Sean McDermott 
uh, both handled the decision uh, to make the move. Uh, his reasoning for it, I, I thought, was uh, was fair, and, and and he stood by, you know, and, and he owned up to it when it didn't work. And I think it was really important for the team that that their head coach was so upfront about. Uh, you know, he he didn't double down on his mistake and say, no, we're sticking with Nathan Peterman. He went back to Taylor, and you know, it worked out for them. They did get into the playoffs, and, and I think. Uh, because of the way that Sean McDermott handled that whole situation, he didn't lose the team. And, and if anything, I think uh, some of the veteran players on the team earned some more respect for their head coach. So, yeah, you know, I mean, it was not perfect. Uh, you know, a 9-7 and seven season rarely is. And, and, you know, for other franchises, making the playoffs and losing in the wild card round might not seem like that much of an accomplishment. But when you had the weight of a 17-year playoff drought hanging over your heads the way that the Bills did, to end that and for that conversation to go away is absolutely, you know, in my mind, huge for the future of this franchise. And I think it's a, a, a tremendous credit to Sean McDermott and, and to Brandon Bean, their general manager. Vontae Davis gets an opportunity to get a one-year deal uh, with this defense. Coach Frazier had them playing lights-out football over over in the, not over, but in the beginning of the season. And then all of a sudden in the middle, they kind of had a lull. Uh, what do you see this team needs to do uh, to keep this defense stout and strong? Because that was the strongest portion of this team last year. Right, yeah, and particularly in the secondary, they played really, really well. And, you know, the Davis signing is pretty interesting because, you know, they had a player at EJ Gaines last year who, who performed well for them but dealt with, you know, some injury situations, missed five games. Well, you know, Vontae Davis, 29 years old now, uh, has also dealt with some injuries the last couple of years. So the, the Bills are making a, a fairly significant gamble here that Vontae Davis can, you know, number one, stay healthy, and then number two, effectively replace, it, which is what he's going to do, EJ Gaines in that start lineup but I think when you look at where their needs are defensively it's it's not so much in the secondary I, I thought they were tremendous back there with especially with their safety play Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde but they've got a lot of work to do in the front seven uh, defensively particularly if Kyle Williams uh, decides that he wants to retire uh, after trading away Marcel Darius last year they have a, a big needed defensive tackle I think they'd like to get a little bit faster and, and more athletic at linebackers so I think you know if they decide to to stay put with the draft that they have and not move up um, you know, for a quarterback, then I, and then I definitely think the front seven defensively is a place that they're going to look to address, you know, both in free agency and early in the draft. Okay, based on the conversations you've had, why are the Bills so high on Nathan Peterman? Cordell and I chatted with him last year at the Combine in Indy. Mature young man. Much was made of the fact that he was married in college prior to graduating from Pitt or moving on from playing for the Panthers deep in the playbook, but obviously there are physical limitations. There's a reason why he was available in the fifth round. Yeah, you know, I'm going to borrow uh, the phrase that Sean McDermott says. He he seems to have the DNA that they look for, and I think they like a lot of his intelligence when it comes to the field and, and being able to read defenses uh, to sort of anticipate throws, and that's something that Tyrod Taylor ha- has sort of struggled with, I think, at times during his career and something that they wanted to see more of. I think that's one of the main reasons why they did make the switch. Uh, they like his accuracy with the ball. They do think he's got a, a strong enough arm. Uh, you know, clearly, you know, the way things went in that start for the Chargers, it's going to take a long time, if it ever is total, is, is really erased from people's memories. But, I, you know, I, as I alluded to earlier when we were talking, you know, you cannot give up on Nathan Peterman uh, in terms of being a factor in this quarterback competition if that's indeed what the, uh, you know, the Bills end up having. And, you know, 
to be fair to him, one game should not define his career, and, and you do have to hope for you know for his sake uh, that it, you know if he does get another chance to play, that he is able to put a better performance out there and, and sort of erase some of that, uh, you know, some of those bad memories and, and that bad taste that that start against LA uh, has left with so many people. I know the team finally got to the postseason. We just mentioned that, and and, and that was one of those games to watch, right? Cincinnati and Baltimore, and I mean to see that be converted for a touchdown by the tight end and see this team go crazy in the locker room. You thought they may have either made it to the Super Bowl or won it, but that's when you don't get in the playoffs for a very, very long time. What does this team need to do in order to compete within a division, considering New England is obviously uh, the team to, to watch to be able to do that every single year in that division? Oof, man. <laughs> you know, if I had that answer, that would be – I'd probably be able to sell it to the Bills for quite a bit of money or, or maybe the <laughs> Dolphins or the Jets too, you know. I mean, the, you know, let, let's face it. You know, when you're when you're playing in the AFC East, you're almost starting with an 0-2 record every season. You know, at, at best, maybe you're starting 1-1 one one because that's just the dominance that, that Tom Brady and the Patriots have, have, you know, exhibited over the – you know, not just the Bills, but maybe particularly for the against the Bills. I think Brady's got his best career numbers – uh, against Buffalo, and yeah, it's it's a it's supremely difficult thing for this team uh, to continue, you know, to go up against uh, you know the the big bad Patriots. But yeah, that's the challenge, and and that's what Sean McDermott signed up for. And you know, if you look at that second game against New England last year on Christmas Eve, it was a very close game. It was tied at halftime, and you know, a couple of plays early in the third quarter go against the Bills, and, and you know, before you know it, it looks like it's a blowout. It really wasn't. You know, they were in the game, but. You know, what do they have to do to compete with, uh, you know, the Patriots? I mean, it, it, you're not going to, in my mind, you're ever, you're not going to ever match points, uh, you know, with Tom Brady. So, you know, particularly I think that, you know, defensively they're going to continue to try to pressure him. That's not a secret. That's what everybody does. But at, at some point I think this team needs to, you know, sort of upgrade offensively at quarterback. And I think that's the challenge for them this offseason. And, and and that's why so much focus, uh, you know, has been paid on what's going to happen, not just with Tyrod Taylor, but how do they replace him? Is, is it through the draft? Do they make a, an aggressive move up into the top five to get one of these quarterbacks who is, you know, perceived to be, uh, you know, an upper echelon potential franchise type of a player? Or do they make a big splash in free agency and hope that, you know, that can and, and then use those draft assets to sort of rebuild, you know, the the offense and the defense because with four, you know, four picks in the first two rounds, they would be able to fill a lot of holes. So there's a couple of different avenues that the team can take uh, this offseason to, to, you know, to try to, uh, as you mentioned, there get on that level with New England. Okay, we appreciate the insights. Thanks for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks, Rami. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.